This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. AOPA presents Never Again, True Pilot Stories from the World of General Aviation. In this episode, a hurried takeoff induces an arrow pilot to miss a fundamental engine control. Find out why in Half Full by David Jack Kenny. The original 180-horsepower Piper Arrow has a well-deserved reputation as an honest, solid, reliable machine. As with any airplane, its design is a series of trade-offs. Stubby rectangular wings provide efficient cruise performance, 125-plus knots true on 9 gallons per hour, at the cost of what might kindly be described as unimpressive climb performance. Its pilots learn to make allowances. In my case, those include restricting operations to paved runways of at least 3,000 feet. That has usually kept me out of trouble. But on the last Saturday in May of 2011, climb performance wasn't merely sluggish. It would be very nearly true to say that my airplane wouldn't climb at all. Acceleration seemed normal during the takeoff roll down Frederick Municipal Airport's 5,219-foot runway 23, and we lifted off at the usual 75 miles per hour. But the moment I tried to pitch up, airspeed began to decay. Forget accelerating to the 100-mile-per-hour VY or even the 90-mile-per-hour VX. I could barely maintain 80 miles per hour flying straight and level which quickly bled off every time I tried to gain some altitude. By the time I understood this, I was too far down the runway to land again. I'd bought the airplane in 2002 as a 101-hour VFR private pilot, intending to use it for personal travel while pursuing my instrument rating. I also expected to trade up to something bigger and faster before long. Nine years, 1,100 hours, three ratings, and two national financial crises later, I still had the arrow and still do today, having learned a few painful lessons about the economics of aircraft ownership along the way. I'd also learned a few things about how that model likes to be treated. Aggressive ground leaning is needed to keep the plugs clean. The marginal climb performance is balanced by the ability to descend like the proverbial Steinway. 
Staying near the gliding distance of an airport means conserving altitude as long as possible and then making a short, steep approach. It's easy to put it into fields that it could only leave on the back of a truck. Some comfort when evaluating possible emergency landing sites. Two years earlier, I'd begun making rescue flights as a volunteer for Pilots and Paws. Today's task was to bring a standard poodle from Huntington, West Virginia, back to Frederick, where Mid-Atlantic Poodle Rescue would place him in a foster care. I was already behind schedule when I arrived at the airport, where the situation wasn't conducive to expediting my departure. Though the second busiest airport in Maryland, behind Baltimore-Washington International, Frederick wouldn't get a control tower for another year. Getting an IFR clearance, a necessity in my book for cross-country flights over the mountains, required calling Potomac Tracon on a discreet frequency, then switching back to CTAF to work your way into the flow. On a holiday weekend, graced with clear, warm weather, both were busy. Potomac initially told me to expect a 20-minute delay. I kept burning avgas in the run-up area rather than miss being ready when they were. Meanwhile, a steady mix of transient aircraft, primary students doing touch-and-goes, and practice ILS approaches made it difficult for anyone to get onto the runway. Ten minutes after my 20 minutes had passed, Potomac finally asked if I was ready for immediate departure. I affirmed that I was, richened the mixture, turned on the fuel pump, and switched the transponder to ALT, only to hear the controller say, November 367 Tango, stand by for just another minute. We're going to get that King Air out ahead of you. I pulled back the mixture, shut off the fuel pump, and switched the transponder to standby. Three minutes later, I finally heard, November 37 Tango, you're released for departure. Clearance void if not airborne by 1853 Zulu, in which case advise intentions no later than 1855. Current time is 1850. The airplane that had just landed was turning off onto the taxiway, and the next was on a mile-and-a-half final. I flipped back to CTAF and announced, Frederick traffic arrow departing westbound from runway 23 Frederick. As I switched the transponder back on and taxied onto the runway, hitting the fuel pump as I crossed the hold short line. After a rolling turn onto the center line, I opened the throttle, lifted off, retracted the gear, and couldn't climb. Repeatedly raising the nose until airspeed dropped to 70 and then leveling to accelerate milked out just enough altitude to clear the roof of the warehouse off the departure end. A passenger could have read the data plates on the rooftop air conditioners. There was no hope of turning at that altitude and airspeed and wooded rolling hills lay ahead. I started looking for landing spots more inviting than either the quarry or the propane tank dealership ahead, though I hated to give up while the airplane continued to fly. The engine was turning its full 2,700 RPM, and the flaps were retracted. On other occasions, I'd forgotten to retract the gear, which cut the rate of climb severely, but never before to zero. Still, it was worth a glance. The gear switch was up, and the green lights extinguished, and the mixture lever was halfway out. I shoved it forward and the airplane surged into the air. I checked in with Potomac Departure just a couple of minutes later than expected. 
What had happened was clear in retrospect. When Potomac postponed my release, I'd leaned the mixture, but not all the way to its usual setting, which is too lean to take full throttle without bogging. Then, in my rush to get out in front of the landing traffic, I'd gunned it down the runway without checking the engine controls. The two mistakes were mirror images. Avoiding either would have prevented the most frightening three minutes I've ever had in an airplane. The lessons are clear enough. Double-check your gauges and power controls before pulling onto the runway, and never rush. In the cockpit, hurry makes worry. The Never Again Podcast is brought to you monthly by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at aopa.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out AOPA's mobile flight planning app, AOPA Go, as well as the many free training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at aopa.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earl. Thanks for listening. Fly safely. Fly safely.